Right, for those that were here um, last night, we went through uh, uh, some things obviously to do with prophecy. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to talk about this morning, but um, I thought uh, the slides that we went through last night uh, did form a bit of a foundation for maybe uh, these thoughts. Um, so um, you won't miss out on anything if you didn't see the slides last night, but we'll start off from the book of Revelation. I just want to pick a couple of verses out of here and uh, the book of Daniel and then have a look at the Gospels and the book of Acts. Um, really, I suppose the, the thoughts are to do with the kingdom of God. It's a phrase which we used a bit last night, and it's one that appears, I think, in the scriptures, in the New Testament, a lot more than we realise. And we become accustomed to talking about being born again and entering the kingdom of God. When you start to actually look it up, if, you, if you've got a, a search thing on your, your online Bible, or you've got a concordance, you look up that phrase, you, you'll find it appears, I think, at least a hundred times in the, in the New Testament there, and uh, in many places where we tend to just almost read over it. Um, but I particularly want to talk about the fact that the kingdom of God, or a kingdom, of course, needs a king. And, of course, the king of the kingdom of God in the scripture is Jesus Christ. And so we're sort of going to be focusing a little bit on the thought of the king of kings of the kingdom of God. So Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10, and um, <clears throat> just this verse here is pretty much towards the end of the book of Revelation and uh, a lot of the amazing things that John has seen, um, as we went through some of them last night, just uh, uh, brushed over them, gave a bit of an overview, and he was quite overcome on a number of occasions, and on this particular occasion, um, you know, he was, uh, he'd been shown the um, things to do with the, the New Jerusalem. He'd been shown things to do with the, um, the coming marriage supper of the lambs it talks about in the previous verse. And uh, the angel was speaking to him and showing them the, he, these things. And in verse 10 it says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. So the messenger, the angel, has revealed all these things to him and sort of led him around and showed him things upon the earth and things that are going to happen in heaven. And he just fell at the feet of the angel to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so we have this saying, don't shoot the messenger. Well, in this case, he was saying, don't worship the messenger. He was saying, I'm just the messenger. I'm just telling you these things. But really, your focus shouldn't be on me. Uh, it should be on the one who I am testifying about and who the prophecy is testifying about, and that is Jesus Christ. And uh, he, should, uh, he should worship the Father and recognise that these things are pointing to his, his Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, at the end of that verse, it has this little phrase here in the King James, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And um, I don't know about you, but I find that a little bit difficult to sort of figure out exactly what it's saying there uh, in the Old English. But if you look it up, uh, basically what it's getting at, if we can reword it a bit like some of the other translations do, the spirit of prophecy or the whole essence, the whole point, the whole focus of prophecy, the driving force behind it and uh, the substance of the prophecy is to testify of Jesus. That's what it's saying. So the spirit of prophecy, uh, you know, without the spirit, there's, there's no life to it. So it's the whole life of prophecy is to testify of Jesus Christ. And so the angel was saying, look, you know, all of this, all that you've seen, it's about focusing you on the king. It's about focusing you on Jesus Christ. 
And uh, I love that little scripture there because it means that all that wonderful prophecy in the scripture, whatever it's talking about, it really the whole point of it is, as we know the whole point of the Bible message is to focus us upon Jesus Christ. He's the one that created the worlds, brought all things into, into being and uh, by him it says that all things consist and uh, he's the focus of the Lord's plan. He has done everything that needed to be done. He is working as a mediator between God and man. He is uh, bringing the world into line. He will do that through the millennium and uh, he will eventually uh, bring everything in subjection to the Father. He will then turn around, the scripture says, and hand the kingdom to his Father and say, it's done. All the, the work has been accomplished that you wanted me to do. And uh, so the Lord at the moment, we know he's returned back into heaven, uh, but he's, he's not sitting idly by. Uh, the scripture says that he has gone to prepare a place for us. And it gives us a bit of a glimpse into that, but I think we have no idea of really what Jesus is accomplishing for us. And, um, you know, some people sometimes say, uh, as it says here, that we should worship God. And I've heard people say, um, who maybe don't believe in, in God and the scriptures, you know, who is this, this God who wants us to fall down and worship him? Isn't that sort of a bit of an ego trip, you know, and that sort of stuff? But I think when you understand that a lot of worship, of course, is just being thankful and being grateful, I think we understand that point that if, if uh, we give a child a gift or we do something for somebody, it's nice for them to be thankful and uh, the more that you do for them, of course, well, you, you would expect, not that you're particularly looking for it, but uh, you would expect that they would recognise that and be thankful. And if somebody saves your life, I think at that moment you are, you know, you just thank you so much. You know, I didn't see that bus coming or whatever. You, you pushed me out of the way. I didn't understand it at the moment, but I realise now you've saved my life and, you know, be very, very grateful. I think what we're going to find as uh, we enter into eternity is that we will just recognise that God deserves all the thanks that we can give him. And uh, really, you know, our worship of him is, uh, at this particular time, is we have a glimpse of that and we're just being very, very grateful for what all that the Lord has done for us. Now, so the angel points uh, John at, uh, towards Jesus Christ and it's sort of almost, um, if you like, almost on cue so the very next vision that then happens in the next verse is the vision which seems to relate to the return of Jesus Christ after the various other things that we talked about last night have come to pass and the fall of what it calls Mystery Babylon and, and these things and the prophecy comes to a close as far as this age is concerned. And uh, so we read on there in verse 11, um, so he's been pointed towards Jesus Christ and here we see this vision. It says, And I saw... Heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. So talking about Jesus Christ, this is returning. And uh, in verse 13, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So um, this uh, wonderful picture there then goes on to describe the Lord taking control of things and ushering in the 
the millennium and uh, and uh, all that he is going to do there. Um, so again, this is the king. This is the king of the kingdom of God that we are looking for. And he is, as it says there, he is a king of kings and a lord of lords. And a very different picture uh, to the, uh, the story of Jesus as the baby in the manger. Uh, this time around, he has accomplished all that he needed to do uh, at that time and during the last couple of thousand years, and he returns to establish his kingdom. And uh, it is, uh, again, I don't know whether I might have mentioned this the other night, but I uh, was just reading through some of those scriptures on the return of Jesus Christ recently, and notice that phrase particularly where it says that the tribes of the earth, the people of the earth will see him returning, and it says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that really indicates that there is going to be an incredible recognition of the, you know, just the foolishness of the world and that they've missed the point entirely. And uh, it is certainly not something we want to be uh, caught up in. Uh, we don't want to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth on that day. We want to be rejoicing and uh, lifting up off of this earth to meet the Lord in the air. Um, we will go to... Um, <clears throat> Um, where should we go here? We'll go to John chapter 3, I think, just before we turn to Daniel. Um, a lot of the things that Jesus said, of course, we'll see a few in a moment, um, uh, had to do with the kingdom of God and his preaching of the kingdom of God. Uh, when he told his disciples how that they ought to pray and he gave them a bit of an example of the sorts of things that they should pray about, one of the first things that he said was, uh, he said, well, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Again, be thankful and honour the name of the Lord. And then the next thing he said was, Thy kingdom come. We're to pray for the coming of his kingdom. And uh, he said, Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. And that's the whole purpose of Jesus Christ to bring that about. And I just uh, noticed, going through some of these thoughts uh, this morning, uh, just that the thief on the cross, uh, we know that one of them sort of repented and recognised that they had done the wrong thing and he asked the Lord to, uh, to help him and remember him. And he actually said to Jesus, uh, he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. So he had a bit of an insight there. The Lord must have shown him something. Maybe he had heard the teaching of Jesus Christ before, but he knew that Jesus Christ was to become a king. He had a sign up over his head at that particular point, the king of the Jews. And uh, so he somehow or other had sort of come, even maybe in that brief time, to recognise that there was something different about Jesus. And um, he said, uh, you know, when you come into your kingdom, please remember me. Now in John chapter 3, we know these uh, verses quite well. Um, Jesus Christ talking to Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees there who came to him by night, uh, sort of secretly, and uh, he recognised that Jesus was doing amazing miracles and amazing healings and things that uh, uh, they hadn't seen before. And he, he recognised that these things must be of God. And he was, <clears throat> he was curious and maybe wanting to know more and be associated with Jesus, but he did, in a sense, in the dark and secret uh, he was afraid at that time of his fellow uh, priests and scribes and Pharisees. Um, and we know the answer of Jesus to him when he said these things in verse 3. It says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus in his preaching 
he talked about this concept, the coming kingdom of God. And uh, he said, look, unless you are born again, you cannot see, you cannot understand, you cannot comprehend, you cannot come anywhere near the kingdom of God. And, of course, a very important passage, and we're always quoting it uh, to people, there has to be a change, uh, there has to be... Uh, we can't just stay in the flesh as we are, but we must be born again of the Spirit. Down in verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And again, very, very clear. So he's, he's talking about an entrance into a kingdom and uh, Jesus Christ is going to be the king of that kingdom. So again, it's a, it's a phrase, you know, the kingdom of God that we, we use quite often. Um, after some of the slides that we saw last night, uh, hopefully we realise that it is a, a concrete thing. It's not just a, an airy-fairy idea. It's not just uh, something which is spiritualised away. Uh, but it is literally a kingdom that is going to supplant the literal kingdoms of this world and change the world uh, when Jesus returns. Um, I, some time ago I went through a few uh, books that were written by different people on the prophecies back in the 1800s and I came across an interesting little story uh, there was one man who came to write quite a bit about the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation and he started to uh, he wrote quite a bit that was in line uh, with what we would teach today as well but he didn't always believe that he was a young man and he was an Anglican minister and um, back in the early 1800s, he tells this story at the beginning of one of his books, giving a bit of a background to him. And he said that he went to a garden party and there were other Anglican ministers there, some of the young ministers. And uh, he came across a group of them there when he came to the party or the picnic. And um, he found them talking about this new idea that was being floated around and was sort of gaining some hold in the of the Anglican Church and some of the Protestant churches and that was that um, apparently the idea was that Jesus Christ was literally going to return and that he was going to set up his kingdom and, uh, <clears throat> and you know it was real, it wasn't just a spiritual idea and things weren't just going to go on as they did forever and ever uh, there was a conclusion to the end of the age and uh, he laughed uh, because that to them was something that had totally dropped out of their um, their, their vision, if you like, and uh, even though it's quite clearly in the scriptures, um, they really didn't think of things that way. They just sort of thought people died and either went to heaven or hell and, and that was about the extent of it. And he laughed at that thought and uh, he thought, that's a strange idea. Jesus is actually physically returning and uh, he's going to establish his kingdom upon the earth. Um, so anyway, he went away and he started to read the scriptures, which is always quite good if you're a minister of religion, uh, to do something like that. Uh, and as he started to read the scriptures, he realised that's exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. It's exactly what the disciples said he was going to do. He, he, he realised it was quite clear there in the Bible. And uh, so he got involved in that particular movement that was starting up there. He started looking at the prophecies. He started to recognise that um, Israel must be returned to its own land and he knew that that must literally come to pass and, and the various other things there and uh, so he began to write about these things so as I say it dropped out of um, uh, the sight of people for some time um, we'll go back to Daniel chapter 2 and I will just pick a few verses 
out of this chapter. Uh, sorry, not this chapter, but a couple of chapters here. <clears throat> we didn't go through a lot of actual scriptures last night. As I say, we didn't have time. We were just doing a bit of an overview. But down Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, where it talks about Nebuchadnezzar's image, uh, the great dream that he had, uh, we just read one verse there. It says, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So um, this is, uh, as we talked about last night, the stone kingdom, uh, which is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now if we go over to chapter 7, uh, where Daniel later sees the vision of the four beasts, which is the same subject. <clears throat> and we read in verse 13. It says there, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. And we remember that this was written some 600 years before the first coming of Jesus Christ. So it's actually talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And here it is in the book of Daniel. So he saw a vision of the Son of Man uh, coming with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man. And it says, And it came, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. So he came in this vision to uh, before the throne of God. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So again, um, the same message that we read there in the other vision. And down a bit further, we'll just read a couple more verses. Uh, verse 17, it says there, These great beasts, which are four, which we mentioned a bit last night, are four kings or kingdoms which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever even forever and ever. So that's talking about us, uh, those that have uh, followed the Lord and have been baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit, been born again, water in the Spirit, and uh, we are to enter this kingdom and rule and reign together with Jesus Christ. Down in verse 21, it says, uh, I beheld on the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom and down in verse 27 we read there again it says and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him so when Jesus talks about us needing to be born again to enter the kingdom of God this is what he's talking about and the prophecies, uh, just they're all pointing to Jesus Christ. They're all pointing to the King of Kings and to his kingdom. And it's giving us uh, an insight into how these things are going to happen, when they're going to happen, uh, in what way they're going to come to pass. And uh, so, um, uh, again, there's a lot of the, uh, the message of the Bible, whether it's prophecy or, or whether it's about salvation, it all ties in together. And I want to make a few points about that in the Gospels. We'll go over to Mark chapter 1. And uh, we'll read there in verse 14. <coughs> um, we just read there, it says, Now after the John, that's John the Baptist, was put in prison, 
uh, Jesus came into Galilee uh, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So again, just recognising that um, you can go through the gospels and you can find many instances where it talks about Jesus preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So the good news that we are teaching is all about the fact, of course, that to Jesus Christ, is going to set up his kingdom as, and he is going to be the king and we are going to be part of that wonderful kingdom and uh, structure that he is going to set up uh, which will rule and reign over the people of this world. So uh, Jesus, his good news was that he was teaching that the time was coming, that these things were at hand. And uh, the kingdom of God, the scripture indicated in the prophecies of Daniel, was going to be different to other kingdoms. It was going to be cut out without hands. It wasn't going to be my man's device. It was going to be different. And um, the reality is that the kingdom of God, sort of, if you like, began to be established when Christ first came. And he poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. And from that time, over the last 2,000 years, the kingdom of God has been growing in secret, so to speak. People have received the Holy Spirit, they've become one with the Lord, they have died, they've passed on the early disciples and other people down through the last couple of thousand years. Uh, and they have been, if you like, sealed with God's Spirit, sealed into his kingdom. And one day when the Lord returns, of course, and the resurrection happens, there is going to be a kingdom born in an instant, the scripture says, in one day, in one hour, in one moment, that this kingdom will appear from nowhere. Sort of because all the people who have gone to sleep in the Lord will suddenly be raised up and we have this mighty army, this mighty kingdom which will suddenly appear out of nowhere and uh, it, it's not something that people will be able to see in a sense growing in front of their eyes but it's happening in a sense in secret in places like this as we gather together and we seek the Lord and we worship the Lord and uh, we know that these things are growing and the world doesn't recognise it at this particular time but the time is coming when the sons of God will be made manifest, it says, to the world. And uh, suddenly everybody's eyes are opened and the truth uh, will be revealed. Um, I'll just read you out of a couple of other um, uh, Gospels, just so we're not uh, moving around too much. But in Matthew it says, uh, Jesus said, Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the book of Luke he said, he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. And uh, in Luke uh, chapter 8 it says, And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. So wherever, you know, what Jesus was preaching about was this thought of the kingdom of God. And again, we, we use the phrase all the time, but I think sometimes we don't recognise just how central it is to the whole message of the Bible and uh, the gospel age. You know, we're not just telling people, look, get right with God and, you know, you'll die and then you'll be in a safe place type of thing. We're, we're telling people there's going to be, uh, there's a storm coming, if you like. There's going to be a great change in the world, as we talked about last night, uh, great destruction, but also a wonderful change coming. And uh, you want to be part of that. Now, the world is not going to go on as it always has gone on. It's going to be very, very different. We'll go to Luke chapter 9 and uh, just pick up on one of the things that Jesus did a lot of during his time. If you want to pick one of the things that, that happened in the life of Jesus Christ that really stood out, it would have to be his healings and his miracles. 
And uh, when you think about that, you ask yourself, okay, Jesus Christ has come to the earth. He is representing God. He is representing the Father. And he is representing his mission. And one of the things that really stands out is that he did these amazing healings. He did these amazing restorations of people in their situation. And the reason for that, um, again, all of the things that happen in the scriptures, um, they all tie back to this one thought. And that is that he is demonstrating the character of the kingdom of God that is to come. He is showing us the powers of the world to come. He's demonstrating that the kingdom of God is going to be something that will heal people, that will change the world. It talks about the leaves of the tree of life being for the healing of the nations. And I think that means not just you know, physical healing, but it means uh, healing our very sick world and uh, turning things around, restoring the world, restoring the nations, restoring what is true and right and just and holy and uh, merciful and all these sorts of things and good. And so Jesus went around, he healed those that were sick, he healed the blind, he caused the lame to stand. And, you know, in this world it's broken down, it's very sick, it's, it's, it's in need of a healing. And the Lord was showing that his power and the power of his kingdom was that it was going to restore all things. It going to be the time of restitution of all things, where everything would be brought back into a, into a wonderful situation as it was supposed to be in, in the, uh, the Garden of Eden there. And we didn't have the curse, and we didn't have the sickness, and we didn't have all of these things. So what Jesus did in his wonderful works was to demonstrate uh, these wonderful things. In verse 2 of chapter 9, uh, whether I read it now, it says, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they go hand in hand, and uh, the miracle working power of the Lord, confirming the word with signs following, was to demonstrate, not only talk about the kingdom of God, but to demonstrate its nature and its character and how it was going to be. Um, again, I'll just read you from a couple of other places. Uh, Elsewhere in Luke it says, And the people, when they knew it, they followed him, and he received them, and he spake unto them of the kingdom of God, and healed them that had need of healing. So again, the kingdom of God and the healing together. Again, in Luke it says, uh, Jesus told his disciples uh, to go out, he said, And heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. So the people would see the healing, and they would recognize the kingdom of God is close to us. Uh, it, is, it is about to be established. You know, we have come to touch the kingdom of God. We've, we've tasted of the powers of the world to come. Um, Jesus on another occasion said, If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. So it's, it's a demonstration that if these, you know, the signs that follow in, in Mark 16, when you see those things, you know you're close to the kingdom of God. You've touched it. You've, you've experienced it. Uh, you have seen the kingdom of God when you were born again. You have seen the kingdom of God. You have understood it. You've comprehended it by seeing these miracles uh, that have come to pass. And um, over in uh, New Zealand, we've got uh, Pastor Brian Smith. He's been quite sick, sick recently um, with cancer, but he appears to be coming out of that. And um, he's, uh, we often have some conversations when we get together at Christmas camps and things, and uh, He's got some interesting uh, ways of looking at a few things and picking out uh, things that, um, which I find uh, is yeah, very interesting. And he was just making the point, I hadn't really thought about it, we'll just turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, 
and we were wondering sometimes you sit around you sort of wonder what the millennium is going to be like and exactly what the details are and uh, I think I usually say myself if I get asked that question I think it's going to be um, more different than we can imagine and more the same than we think so that doesn't really tell you much Um, but I think it's a bit beyond our comprehension I think just the way it was the New Testament was beyond beyond the comprehension of the disciples Um, but um, chapter 6 Hebrews 6 and verse 4 Um, Jesus here is talking about those who maybe walk away from the things of the Lord he says for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened have been made to see and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come and um, when you think about the things that Jesus did and the things that happened there and you think about the amazing things he did he walked on water and he had power over the elements was able to make the storms to cease He was able to bless the the bread and the fish and multiply the the loaves and the fishes to feed thousands of people. Now these are incredible miracles, changed the water into wine, totally against what we understand the laws of physics and these sorts of things. And we maybe think, uh, we talk about technology and maybe technology will increase and we'll be able to do more and more things and maybe that might happen in the millennium, who knows. But... Uh, he was saying maybe you know it's going to be a totally different setup altogether because when the knowledge of the Lord covers the whole earth um, and uh, everybody understands these things and everybody has faith in God, well, maybe we're just going to see miraculous things. Maybe the way we do things is through faith. And uh, who, who needs um, you know machines to do the work when you can you know give thanks to the Lord and the loaves and the fish multiply? I mean. What the future is for this world, we, we don't understand, but it's going to be far better, I think, than anything that we can imagine. But I like this phrase here. It says, you have tasted of the powers of the world or the age to come. And we've just had a little bit of a taste. We get up here, we give testimonies, we've received the Holy Spirit, we've spoken in tongues, we've had a healing, we've had a provision. Uh, and again, just the thought of provision you know, for, from the Lord um, is a taste of the character of the kingdom to come. And so we've got a lot to look forward to. In, in that case, in a sense, at this moment, we see through a glass darkly and maybe we also, um, these things are almost the exception rather than the rule, but I will be looking forward to the day in which they are the rule. And, uh, you know, where we, uh, sometimes we, we pray for something, maybe we don't have the faith or something, we don't get a healing or we don't get this or we don't, it doesn't quite work out the way we're expecting it to. Maybe in the, in the time to come um, that will reverse around. However it's going to be, it's certainly going to be a more wonderful situation than what we have at this moment. Um, <clears throat> just uh, flick over to Matthew chapter 13. Verse 24. Again, when you think about the teaching of Jesus, he spent... as as well as healing a lot of people, one of the other things he's very noted for was that he spoke to people in parables and um, says that he um, virtually didn't speak to anybody without parables. And down in verse 24, there's quite a few here in Matthew chapter 13. Um, And uh, let's say verse 24, he lists a few here. I'm just going to pick out the first verse out of a couple. It says in verse 24, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Now most of the other um, 
most of the other Gospels uh, use the phrase the kingdom of God. Matthew, uh, for whatever reason, uses the phrase the kingdom of heaven and it really means the kingdom which comes from heaven, it's not from man, or the kingdom of God, it's the kingdom that comes from God, it's instituted and created by God. Uh, So whether we're talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it's the same thing. But you'll find that just about all the parables that Jesus spoke about, he started off with a phrase like this, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like, and then he gives a description. We go down a little bit further to verse 31, And he says, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. And he went and talked about the grain of mustard seed. And down in verse 33, he said, another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. And uh, so just about all the parables you go through, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of heaven is as. And he would give some description and give some explanation. So all his teaching was about giving us an insight into this wonderful kingdom that he was going to establish. And uh, so, again, it's virtually everywhere you go, um, it it ties back to these thoughts which we read in the prophecies. Um, Acts chapter 1. I'm flicking around a lot today, hope you don't mind. And verse (coughs) 3. Jesus, after he had been resurrected and before he was taken up into heaven, uh, in verse 3 there it just says, to whom also, uh, to his disciples that is, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion uh, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And as we know, his disciples asked him at that time and said, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, well, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. He said, but you're going to receive the Holy Spirit in a few days' time and, uh, and you'll be witnesses for me. Um, but Jesus, again, in that 40 days, he spoke about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Uh, if we go over to Acts chapter 8 and verse 12... <clears throat> This is the story of uh, Philip. Gone to the wrong chapter. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. Um, Philip went out. He preached the gospel uh, to the Samaritans. Verse 12, it says, But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And again, you find that often you just sort of slip over some of these these phrases, but... uh, It was all about preaching this coming kingdom of God and it was very real to the people of Israel at that time because, as the disciples demonstrated, they understood from the prophecies that there was a coming kingdom and Israel was going to be restored and uh, the times of the Messiah would come and things were going to be very different. And uh, that message is still there in the New Testament. It's just that uh, we know the Lord was doing it in a different way than what they expected. Uh, But ultimately it comes to its conclusion when the Lord returns. Now, right throughout the book of Acts and again through the Gospels, you find many, many places where it talks about the saints and the disciples preaching and it talks about them um, referring to the kingdom of God. I'll just read you a couple. In Acts chapter 19, it says, He went into the synagogue, that's Paul, and he spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading things concerning the kingdom of God. 
Um, on another occasion, it says, when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him in his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning uh, until even. And uh, again, uh, the end of his uh, time, in the end of the book of uh, Acts, says, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So I guess what I'm saying here is that you know, our whole message is about the king and his kingdom. And uh, you know, we, we talk about how to enter the kingdom. We talk about salvation. Uh, we look at the healings. We see the character of the kingdom. Uh, we see the power that is manifest there. Uh, we see the parables describe the kingdom and give us some instruction about these things. Um, it's really like, uh, you know, we often think when we talk about salvation, we're, we're getting our ticket uh, into the kingdom of heaven. And um, if you think about you going on a holiday or something, um, obviously if, if you go to the travel agent and you, get, uh, you want to get a ticket to some faraway place, um, you want to know about the place. And that's what prophecy is all about. It's the travel guide. Uh, and so are the parables. And the Lord has given us all that information. You would go to the travel agent and you'd say, can I see some photos of this place? And, you know, what's the accommodation like? And what sort of things are there to do there? And you, you have a look at all the exciting things and it's all explained to you. And you get all excited. You get all the photos out and you plan your trip and, and all the rest of it. And you've got your ticket. And it's like that with the Bible, that we've got our ticket in being filled with the Holy Spirit and being baptised and uh, the Lord has given us all the description there. He's shown us the pictures. He's shown us the parables. He's shown us the healings. He's given us a taste of it. He said this is what is coming and what we've got to look forward to. Maybe just um, one last thought in 1 Corinthians in chapter 6. One of the other major aspects that um, the Bible contains is the warnings about um, the things that we should not be involved with. And down in verse 9, uh, Paul says here, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And he makes that point in a number of, uh, a number of epistles that uh, the people that do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So again, even the warnings about morality and other things that we are not to do it's, it's there to tell us, that it's warning us that we can't get involved in those things and enter the kingdom. So again, it's, pointing us, it's all pointing us towards the kingdom. If we want to be one with Jesus Christ and ruling and reigning with him, there are things of this world that we do not become associated with. He goes on to say, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, uh, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And uh, so those things are excluded. And again, this gives us information about the kingdom of God to know, as it says elsewhere in Revelation uh, and other places, it's going to be a holy place. It's going to be a place where no bad thing enters in. And uh, it's only going to be just the glory and all the wonder and all the power of God and uh, everything that is, is good and true. And in verse 11, as such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, who is the King, and by the Spirit of our God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So, again, 
uh, we, are, we enter into that kingdom where we're given our ticket uh, by the Spirit of God through the name of Jesus Christ. He's made all that possible for us and he's made it possible that we can, we can have that and be transformed. As I said last night, the world is going to change. He's going to transform the world. At this moment, he's transforming the individuals to fit that world. And unless you get changed now, uh, you won't be ready because flesh and blood, it says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's why the Lord wants us to be born again. Just uh, one last thought in um, Colossians chapter 1. You will note that I've said one last thought twice. And that's just to just to give you hope. Um, <clears throat> okay, so just uh, here in verse 15, uh, it talks about Jesus Christ. It says, uh, "Who is the image of the invisible God, uh, the firstborn of every creature?" Now, Jesus Christ. You know, we we might have trouble understanding God, and it says that no man can actually see God face to face. And, and still live. He is so different to us. He is so holy. He is so pure. Um, we can't. We can't. We just turn to dust in His presence. You know, we cannot survive in His presence. It's just too much for us. And uh, He's He's beyond our comprehension. Again, that's why we need to be born again, so we can see or understand or comprehend the kingdom of God. Unless we're born again, we just don't get it. Like Nicodemus, it doesn't click. We don't understand it. But Jesus Christ um, has come to us in the image of the invisible God. And uh, though we don't comprehend God and can't see him, he sent his son who was born uh, in the flesh and he was, uh, he's able to, everything that we look at Jesus Christ, we can understand God. Jesus said, on one occasion, I think it was Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and that's enough for us. And Jesus said, I've been with you all this time. He said, haven't you... Haven't you understood? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what he was getting at was, you look at the things that I'm doing. Um, as he once said to John the Baptist, you know, the sick are healed, I'm raising the lame, you know, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Uh, you look at Jesus Christ. If you want to understand God, what sort of a God he is, you see the way Jesus reacted to things. You see the way he spoke. You see that he was, he was full of mercy and he was also quite severe on those who preached a false gospel. And uh, you look at the character of Jesus Christ and you know what God is like. And that's one of the reasons that the Lord sent his son in that fashion, that we can have, if you like, an interface. Um, when we sit down in front of a computer, uh, we don't understand computer language. We don't understand the code and all the rest of it, the zeros and ones. It means nothing to us. Uh, so they, they build an interface which is sort of a visual thing that we can move things around and, and that we understand that and that sort of works. And we do that and then the computer translates that and does its thing. Now, Jesus Christ is like the interface for us. We can't comprehend God and we, even through reading the scriptures we sort of find it difficult to understand the real character of God. But then we look at the example, Jesus Christ, and we realise, ah, he's a healing God. He's a God that shows mercy. He has that, that personality that Jesus Christ has. And um, he is the visible man, if you like, that gives us the image of the invisible God. Verse 16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created 
by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Jesus is the, the crux of everything. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him uh, should all fullness dwell. So again, this is our wonderful King of Kings and uh, he is the one that's going to be heading up the kingdom uh, that will be established when he returns. And we'll leave it there.